Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome back to Tech Uncensored. My name is Sam Hussein, and we got an early edition today, just before the holidays, and it's our last podcast for 2022. Today, we're talking about clean tech. Ontario has a mandate to reduce its carbon emissions by carbon neutral by 2040. And what does that mean? I have with me today, James Sabrola, a clean tech expert. He is an entrepreneur residence at the Altitude Accelerator. He has been in the clean tech space for over 25 years. He sits on a, on the, a number of boards and is a, the chairman and president of clean tech capital. And he's a major shareholder of multiple publicly traded clean tech companies. James, thank you for coming on. My pleasure, Sam. Delighted to be here. So I guess I was reading an article about how Ontario is trying to get to carbon neutral in two years, actually, and has to reduce its carbon emissions by almost 50%. And by 2040, I believe, it's, I think it's 2040, we have to go to net zero. I mean, what does that mean, James? It means there's a tremendous business opportunity and there's a lot of money to be made in trying to bring solutions to market to try to solve that problem. There's no silver bullet. Uh, people say, what's the solution to our environmental sort of challenges with our ecosystem? It's like saying rice is the solution to world hunger. Or I remember seeing a business plan one time, emu meat is going to solve world hunger. It was produced by an emu farmer in New Zealand. Everyone should eat emu. It's the most efficient type of... Anyway, there, there is no silver bullet for, to solve world hunger, and there's no silver bullet to solve carbon. But I can tell you there's a tremendous array of possibilities where we can help sort of foster improvements to the environment and at the same time make money. It's a challenge, though, because you've got various stakeholders trying to tackle various parts of the overall global challenge. You've got federal government rules in Canada. You've got provincial government rules. You've got municipalities that are involved in the process. And that's just Canada. You know, the United States is obviously their 10 acts in terms of population. They're 10 acts in terms of carbon output. And, then, and those are just two of the countries in our global ecosystem. So, so there's no silver bullet. There's no easy answer. But I can promise you there's tremendous opportunity. Well, I mean, so... One of the things I was surprised to read was, and I guess intuitively it makes sense, but that homes are a real big culprit of the car carbon emissions. They make up over half of what the carbon emissions are. I would have thought it was something like cars or... Uh... Well, let's start with this, which most people don't realize. Yeah. Uh, I believe it's over 96% of the carbon emitted is from the ocean. So, oh, wow. Okay. Yes. So, yeah. so the ocean emits an unbelievable amount of carbon. So a lot of people in the clean tech space, you're not going to change what the ocean's emitting. So how much difference does it make? And it does make a difference. So even if you're only impacting the 4% and you're changing it by a couple of basis points, there's still impact. And so the move towards carbon neutrality is saying, okay, if we're consuming some carbon, how can we put carbon back? And, you know, sort of planting trees, that's a good way because trees take carbon dioxide and they emit oxygen. And so that's one little piece of the equation. If you are taking things out of the ground and consuming a lot of energy to do that, you, 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 it would be an infinite number of trees that you'd have to plant. So what we try to do is assess, okay, where, where's the highest, best use of our time and energy where we can get the best return on capital and at the same time, best for the environment. 
And I can give you a couple of examples over the course of this conversation, but essentially it's, like I said, a very complicated problem and there's not one simple solution. It's a complex. You said I'm over 25 years in, in the clean tech space. We didn't even use the word clean tech 25 years ago. And actually, I hate to say it because it makes me feel old. More like almost 30 years I've been in the, actually it is 30 years. I started in 92. So it's literally 30 years I've been in this oh, yeah. industry. And in the beginning, we called it the environment industry. And I got started cleaning up contaminated sites. So you, before you turn on a building, you got to take care of the asbestos, PCBs, contaminated soil. So the front runners of the environment business were in the contracting world. We were cleaning up sites. Yeah. And then it became, oh, there was other airborne pollutants. We need emissions controls. And the guys that were literally removing asbestos from buildings were the first environmental services workers. And so a lot of those people developed expertise. When I was in my 20s, I took the asbestos course to learn how to remove asbestos properly. And that laid the groundwork for me to learn more about this space. And so we are still learning and growing. I can go on at length on that, but maybe I should let you ask another question before. Yeah. So one of the things I was thinking about is, remember a couple of years ago, I saw these tiling roof tiles, roof shingles. That in fact is one of Elon Musk's companies, Solar City. And if you look at Solar City on their website, these roof shingles, they're solar. They look beautiful. I mean, it just looks like a regular roof, right? But it's solar. And I always think about trying to convert my house to solar, but the cost is so expensive. And I don't know. I mean, I don't think these roof tiles have come here or not, or whether they're applicable to this weather. I mean, solar city is based out of California, but yeah. So, so like, to be very frank, it's like buying a Tesla is not solving our environmental problems in this world. And sure. You can make the argument that a Tesla is good or any electric car for that matter is good because it's using electricity and not fossil fuel. I I'm not sold on that. And I drove a Tesla for six months. I had the opportunity to experiment with one and it was definitely not the solution for me. I loved it. It was fun to drive. There was lots of benefits and interesting, great narrative, but it's not a definitely not a solution for me. Solar panels. I own one property that has solar panels on the roof. I bought the property, came with it. So it wasn't a decision I made quiet, but I'm now analyzing, does it make sense? I know well the arguments for solar, and I think solar is an important part of the mix. Like I said, that you can't solve world heat prices with rice or emu, but as part of the mix, I think solar is part of the long-term solution. But it's not one I'd invest in today. I think there's still a lot of improvements that we need in solar for the returns to be adequate. Um, and what's, well, what's the opportunity there then to improve it? I mean, is it to well, store it, store the excess power or? So energy storage is one of the big challenges. What conversion is one of the challenges. The efficiency of panels has gotten better, but it's still not optimized. I, look, I'll give you a parallel, okay? My dad was in the computer industry in the 1960s. He sold the first 80211 in 1969, and he got a great commission, helped pay off his mortgage. And when I was in the early 90s in the environment business, my dad said to me, this is like the computer industry, 1960s. And it was very much true. In the 80s, my dad was still in the computer industry, and people were making decisions, do we go mainframe or do we go PC? You know, and my dad, literally, that 80211, it came with punch cards. And so... In our clean tech or the old environment industry, it was obvious to me, we're going to need water. We got to clean the air. We got to clean soil. 
but I wouldn't want to be in the punch card business. Some of the water technologies will not survive. Two of the great water companies came out of Canada. They had great advancements. And those were, those two were Xenon and Trojan, incredibly successful companies because yeah, they yeah. displaced chlorine, which is which was used to clean water, which is not a very good clean water. Although we still use chlorination in a lot of places. But my point is there's evolution, there's change. If you're going to invest in the computer industry in the 80s, did you want to be in the punch card business? God, no. So, so I'm not an investor of solar because I don't think it's there yet. I think we still need some evolution. I'm involved in a whole bunch of government programs, including Altitude Accelerator, and I sit on the College of Reviewers. So I'm a believer in investing as a group, as sort of our government and government programs, investing in technology that's evolving, where we will have competitive advantage, and you make some bets and say, okay, can we create jobs? Can we create an industry? And solar is one of those ones where I'm a big supporter because I do think it's part of the future, but I haven't seen a business plan where I'd say, yeah, I'd invest in that today. What? I mean, do you think the government needs to get involved in incentivizing something here or who? I mean, well, the government is involved. Companies, in are you seeing companies that are getting into the space that have some solutions or? Well, you, well so that's a very complicated question. And I'm not going to make political statements saying one party's better or the other, but you have changes in government. In the province of Ontario, we had a tremendous support. And I'm not saying it was good or bad, but it was a tremendous support for wind power and solar during the McGuinty government. And they also decided we're phasing a coal, no more coal. I could argue, and I was a debater, and I could give you compelling arguments, because I was an investor in a company that provided pollution control for the coal industry, for burning coal. So you could burn coal, it could be just as clean as natural gas. So... My opinion at that time was like, why are we phasing out coal? If it can be as clean as natural gas, scrub it, clean it, and you can use the coal. But that wasn't the decision of the government. Because the government was no more coal. We're out of the coal business. We're just going to use natural gas and we're going to build these other plants. A lot of those didn't happen. The McGinty government supported building solar and wind. And we at the time, my group, environmental business consultants, we did nine projects in the wind space. And we did really well at it. And then the government changed. And the conservative government now won't invest in those types of projects or support that. And we got out of that space. And so I'm going to give you another sports analogy. Play soccer, World Cup on Sunday. You're only allowed to touch the ball with your feet, right? You touch the ball with your hands, it's a penalty. Well, I'm a basketball player. I can only touch the ball with my hands. If I kick the ball, the ball goes to the other team. And so what are the rules of the day? What's the government doing today? And you want to make your investment decisions as an investor in the clean tech space based on the parameters and the time horizon that you have. So if the government were to say, we're going to do 20-year contracts for solar to try and stimulate solar, I'd say that makes it interesting to look at that again. Anyway, so it really depends on the regime and the specific thing. But we've done I mean, a lot yeah. of work. Sorry, go yeah. ahead. Do you, think, do you think solar is the way forward or do you think, I mean, Solar's I think like a lot rice. of these wind power, some of these wind power things so, are. Solar's like rice. Wind power's like potatoes. These are part of the mix. Okay. And there may be so, some places where you say, oh, they'll never eat potatoes because they come out of the ground and they'll only eat rice and pasta. Okay. So, but I believe both are part of the long-term mix. This what is about the power we're talking about. Yeah. What about you? I believe, I know, in fact, coal, which most people like the idea of coal, we're trying to displace coal, but there probably is a place for coal as part of the mix of the future too. And that's not a popular thing to say, Yeah. but coal is part of the steel making process. You need coal to make steel. Well, one of the investments I have 
we can get into great detail if you like, is a company that's got a clean coal. So they take wood waste and convert it into a coal replacement material in the steelmaking industry. So we're in the coal business, but it's clean coal. It's not regular coal. It's so it's a mix. This is just power. We could also talk about the water space. We could talk about the recycling space. We could talk about cleaning up contaminated sites and the different technologies there. I mean, there's all these different buckets of what people call clean tech. And so each one of them, the government has different policies and procedures. Sometimes there's rules, but no enforcement. Well, if there's no enforcement, nobody cares because well, there, there has to be a reason for companies to, or, and people for that matter to, to make changes. So what about geothermal? Geothermal is again, part of the mix. Part of the mix, okay. Part of the mix, yeah. It's a, I mean, there are parts of the world that operate on geothermal. Go to Iceland, it's incredible. You see the power plants. There has been some development in heat in this province, in Ontario. The early adopters did not get great results, but it's improved. The efficiency of geothermal systems has gotten better. My personal position is, I think geothermal is interesting. I think it's a good part of the mix, but I don't know that it's a big long-term solution because we don't know the impact of accessing geothermal. Like how much difference is it going to make in the, like if you're taking all this heat from underground, how much difference does that make? I don't know. There's a lot of geologists and engineers that would say it's such a small difference. Maybe it isn't. I don't know. When people were manufacturing steel a hundred years ago, they didn't know the impact they were having in greenhouse gas. Maybe we're making a difference to the core of the earth if we're taking too much geothermal. If it's a part of the mix and it's not the only solution, I don't think we'll have that big an impact, but we should, over time, measure these things. Sure, they use fossil fuels to make the vehicles, but uh, I still think that they're having an impact once they're on the road because they're not using fossil fuels, right? So you are technically reducing your carbon footprint. But, 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 but hold on a second. Where's all the power coming from? You're creating the electricity. Because the largest producer of electricity right now in Ontario, you know what it is, right? Nuclear. Nuclear, yeah. I don't have a problem with that, but that's the reality. A lot of people are into nuclear. I'm not for or against. Yeah. What are the parameters? What are the rules? What are we trying to accomplish? Yeah. What are the set of parameters we're trying to accomplish? And we'll try to find the best opportunities that fits. Yeah. So. So, but then do we, so let's go back to the solar aspect then. So if I, if I put these solar shingles on my house and let's say I put it on my garage as well. Can I derive enough power to run my home on a yearly basis? Is there enough sunlight? Well, so first of all, if that's your objective, you're also going to need battery backup. You're going to have to store the power. Now there's net metering. So, you know, the way that the system works is you can collect power with your solar panels and it will, when you can consume it, if you're not, if you're, if you're not consuming it all, it gets put into the grid. And then when you need power, you take power from the grid. Of course, you don't get paid as much for the power you put in as the power you take out. Yeah. It is early to tell whether or not you and your house, because I don't have enough information, could generate enough power to run your house. But my guess is, no, you can't. Could you change your habits to reduce your power consumption? Could you replace a lot of things that would be using less power? Could you change your habits to use less power? If that's your objective, possible. But I think it's unlikely. We are, to be frank, Sam, we're power pigs. We, in, in Canada, in Ontario in particular, we Niagara Falls, in the early days of electricity, we generated a lot of power and it was cheap. 
and it was easy to get. And so we developed habits where we use, where we consume a lot of power, of large refrigerators and houses that are probably bigger than we need. I'm not saying you should all reduce either. Just those, that's what we've gotten accustomed to. And just like we built habits to recycle, probably over time, we'll hopefully develop habits to consume less power or use less power or have things that are more efficient and all that sort of thing. I leave my office, there's like 25 lights on my desk. Like the modem is on, there's a standby power light on the, on the thing for my, there's a clock on my TV, the computer, even when it's off, it has a light. Like there's like 20 lights. It's like a scoreboard at my desk. When I leave and turn everything off, you can't, and so... I'm not saying I'm the worst guy in the world, but I'm conscious of it. And is that going to solve our environmental problems? Well, no, it's not going to solve environmental problems, but it doesn't help. Yeah. And so is putting solar panels on your roof going to help cover the light bulbs on my desk? It's not going to hurt. It's not going to solve the problem either. Yeah. But it might make a, a small difference, right? It might make a little difference. Look, in 1981, recycling... Curbside recycling started in the world, the very first place, Waterloo, Ontario. The Blue Box program was an invention in Ontario. Okay, Waterloo, Ontario, first place. It did not make economics to send trucks around picking up the recyclables in these separate streets. But the decision was made to do it because of the education, because we want people to be aware and have environmental consciousness. And the Blue Box, you could argue it's been a total failure of economics, that's debatable, but let's just ignore that. It's definitely been a success on education. It has brought an education. And whether it's solar panels or whether it's driving an electric car or whatever, if the education process builds that awareness and the next generation is better, stronger, faster, more efficient, and more cognizant of the realities of the environment, that's good. That's good. And there's opportunity in that. What are you seeing right now in your ecosystem on the investment horizon on companies that are coming into the ecosystem to build so, this? So, so I can talk about three, if you like. Yeah, startups. Yeah. Yeah. Start yeah. And not only just that, but also opportunities for entrepreneurs to get into this space. Where are you seeing? Yeah, well, so it's very often at the innovation center, we see solutions looking for a problem. Hey, I've split this out and no one's ever done this before. Well, how much does it cost? I don't know. What do you sell for? I don't know. And so to me, it's try to find a problem that's been identified that's looking for a specific solution and then adapt your solution to it. So one of the examples, so one of my portfolio companies is called BioRip. One of our building your business breakfast years, we had the CEO come and speak. They get rid of smell. And the biofilters were built for wastewater treatment plants. I don't know if you remember when you were a kid, driving by a wastewater treatment plant, you used to well, think the yeah. smell of rotten eggs. Or you drive by a slaughterhouse, Canada Packers on St. Clair Avenue. It smelled terrible. Mm -hmm. you, you don't smell those anymore. And the odd time, if you catch a whiff of a wastewater treatment plant, it's because the biofilter needs to be replenished. Like they've got to change the media. And so if you smell it, it's like there's a business opportunity. So Byron built a business around getting rid of smell. And they're very good at it. Canadian company, 50 employees, 30 million in revenue. And they're looking for other places to put in that type of solution. And it's, so that one, so, so that's one example. And they use a media, which is environmentally friendly media, that once it's captured the material, is not toxic and hazardous knowledge. Another example is the tire recycling business I'm involved in called NRT. So they take not just tires, although that's one that hits close to home because everyone knows when you buy tires, 
you have to pay it. People think it's a tax, but it's a stewardship fee. Buy tire, buy a new set of tires, you got to pay five bucks a tire for disposal. Well, without disposal, they go to recycle. And the stewardship fee goes towards beneficial reuse. And then products are made using post-consumer tires. And that's pretty cool. I think that was fantastic. And the technology- What do they make? What do they make with it? So they make lots of things, but you know, sort of like in my garage, I have tiles, so I have a rubber floor. So you can make floor out of it. I mean, the long-term plan, if you can really, and actually here's, some, again, another little metaphor. You can chop up a loaf of bread and get breadcrumbs. And so recycled bread is breadcrumbs. And you can do things with breadcrumbs, but you can't bake another loaf of bread. You can't use it in your baking. If you could make the breadcrumbs back into flour, that would really be ideal. Then you've got way more options, just breadcrumbs. And so NRT has developed technology to depolymerize or devulcanize rubber so that it's like flour, essentially. So it's, you've got higher, better uses for it. And so there was a lot in the tiles aren't just chopped up rubber glued together. It's really like you're baking a loaf of bread from scratch with fresh bread. So that's the difference. And that's what's intellectual property and patents and all that sort of thing. So this is, so the third example, because I know we don't have a lot more time, is char, which is basically your Brita filter has activated carbon in it. So there's different types of activated carbon. Those activated carbons can be made from waste streams. And so char takes wastewater treatment plant digestate, basically the crap from wastewater treatment plants, and puts it through a pyrolysis process and makes an activated carbon that can be used as a filter for renewable natural gas. Well, that's pretty awesome. And then its second product, they take wood waste and put it through a pyrolysis process, same sort of oven, different recipe, and it makes the biocoal that I'd referenced earlier. So this is higher, better use. And it's not just higher, better use for a material, it's higher, better use for a waste. So you're taking waste and making it into something that can be used in a practical purpose. So to me, those are the business opportunities that work best. If you got an entrepreneur who's looking for a problem to solve, I'll give you one that I don't have a solution to, and I see business plans relatively often. Glass is really hard to recycle because you're competing with sand is the main component, silica, to make glass. Well, there's been a lot of unsuccessful companies trying to recycle glass. It's difficult. It's expensive. It's not easy to handle because it breaks. And so I'm still looking for a good glass recycling business to invest in because there really hasn't been technology that's been great for glass recycling. So that's one that hasn't really been that fun. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. Aluminum recycling is a really robust business. Rubber recycling is robust. And so it's one I've invested in and done well. Paper and cardboard, there's a robust recycling environment for it. Glass has been a tough one. The other one that's been really difficult, and we know it because we have green bins, but we don't know the outcome. Well, it's been a challenging outcome. Yeah. They, they smell, the raccoons are still knocking over the bins. And when the receiver gets it, it's in a plastic bag, which is not good for their recycling systems. Yeah. There's often cross-contamination. They can't really handle bones. You're throwing food scraps out. Are you separating your bones and putting them in the garbage? Probably not. 90% of people are not. We're taking some of the or some of the things that are not compostable or digestible in, in an anaerobic digester out of the stream. And so the processor has a real challenge. So organics are really difficult. That's one where I've been an investor in that space and it's been really tough. 
So that's so interesting because I was just thinking about that when I just put out the uh, the recycling yesterday, to be honest, and uh, and organics, and I'm just wondering. I mean, where does the re- where does the recycling go? And I'm sure that in the recycling there are probably people put in stuff that probably doesn't belong in there accidentally or whatever. And how is that handled as well? And where does it go? Does it go into a landfill site or do they sort it, take out the recycling material and put the rest in landfill? What about landfill? So, so, so not in every case, but most of your blue box material is going to go to a MRF, which is a short for, for material recycling facility. So the MRF will have a processing line and they'll use magnets to take out the metal. They'll use an eddy current to take out the aluminum. So they get separated. And those are really good streams. In most cases in Ontario, still, they'll have a hand sort for the plastics, and then the paper and cardboard goes to another place. The plastics, there are really two big recyclers in Ontario, only one that handles spill. And so, yes, the material will be recycled. There will be stuff that doesn't end up recycled. It's between 10 and 15% of what goes into the blue box. Don't quote me, but it's something like that, 10 to 15%, depending on which municipality how good the MRF is, because some MRFs are better than others, depending on how new the facility is, how, you know, whether the equipment's state of the art, what, how much of its hand sort. Sometimes the hand sort's better, sometimes the hand sort's a lot of good, depending on the, you know, how skilled the labor is. And there's a whole bunch of factors. But your blue box material in the GTA, 100% is being recycled. There are still some municipalities and some places where well, the efficiency and effectiveness of the program isn't as good as we would want it to be. I spent a lot of years working with the Blue Box program, Stewardship Ontario with my client, and we work with them to improve the efficiency and effectiveness. And it's a challenge a lot of times because the logistics, you know, you're in the far re- reach of Northern Ontario. How practical is it to send five different waste streams to five different locations? And I'm not saying it didn't happen, but you start to evaluate how much does it cost? How much, what are we accomplishing? And like I said, we made a decision to do recycling because of education, not because of just sort of culinary efficiency. So it's a challenging decision tree when you're deciding what to do. But I promise you, because I know you live in Toronto, your stuff is being and it is ending up in the right place. Okay. You mentioned one that you would like, you'd love to, you would look at companies that are doing something in the glass recycling business. What are your other top two, or let's pick a top three areas that you would look at? as the president of CleanTech Capital, that you'd say, okay, I'm interested in these three areas. Uh, so we have three that are either public or soon to be public. You know, so activated carbon, I really like. That's taking waste and turning it into something better. And chars and that's You would look at, but no, but you would look at companies that are in that space or? Oh, I would look at more of them, absolutely, because it's a robust, there's huge opportunity in that space. The biofilter space, I really like, but BioRM has got really big market share. So probably wouldn't invest in another company in that space. And then NRT in the recycling space, I really like, and there are other elements of recycling, like they're in the rubber recycling space, they're really not in plastic, but you can blend rubber and plastic. So we're looking at opportunities there. So plastic recycling is an area of interest and other recycling streams are an area of interest. Char takes wood, so we're recycling wood. NRT takes rubber. I'm involved in another business that's a plastic recycler, and we've experimented putting rubber into their mix. And so, so, th- so those are areas of interest. And to give you one other bucket, water treatment. We all need water. Turn on the tap every day. And so we've had two really good winners for Canada, Trojan and Xenon, which I mentioned, both founded by 
sort of Canadian guys who were immigrants, one from Hungary, one from the Netherlands, um, very much looking forward to the next advancement in water treatment technology coming from Canada, because I think we are due for another one of those. And whether it's water treatment to drink, like treating water for drinking, or whether it's wastewater treatment, because hydrogen and xenon are really two different elements that way. But I, I think water treatments are really exciting space too. Okay. So we can conclude that it's uh, plastics, glass, and water treatment. There's opportunities there, and that's what we can look at. We are out of time. James, I know we could talk more about this, so we'll go on for a long time on this. And I loved it. Thank you for coming on. And I wish everyone out there a happy holidays, Christmas, and New Year. And we'll see everyone in the new year. Sounds Thanks, great. James. All the okay. best, everyone, for 2023. All the best. Okay. Take care. Tech and Censored, an Altitude Accelerator podcast, does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. It's produced and distributed by Bluemax. For more Tech and Censored content, subscribe where you get your podcasts and visit Bluemax.io to join us on Discord.